Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes weekly roundups on a variety of topics, including media, food, tech, health innovation, arts, music, regional news, business, and city council. Taproot's curators gather up the headlines and happenings on those files and deliver them to your inbox. You can get one or two for free. If you'd like more, become a Taproot member. You can get as many as you want, plus other perks, for just $10 a month or $100 a year. Get informed at Taproot Edmonton. New book alert. <laughs> A fresh beginning. Indeed. A new book. Our seventh novel. Seven already? Yeah. Ooh, look at us go. We've been doing this for a while. We um we made a promise to ourselves that we would get through Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. Our, our first book. Our first book. And uh, that having done that. We could walk away at that point because we will have at least fulfilled the mandate of the read-along and read through a book <laughs> chapter by chapter. And yet here we are, seven books in, yeah, having done books from a variety of genres. Over several years now. Yeah. Hmm. Our family has grown. Go team us. Our ages have increased. <laughs> that is how time works, yes. Our appreciation of books has grown and our relationship has deepened. Aw. I love you too. Aw. Gross. <laughs> it is not. It is not. Um, but uh, we are here, launching into a genre that we haven't really done before. I am excited. The thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Now, thriller is a little bit suspense, a little bit mystery. So, and we've done a mystery novel before, mm. but we did like a detective mystery. Yes. And this is more like a thriller. Yeah. That's so, why. That's why I picked it. Well, the thriller genre, I should say. I yeah. Pick the genre. Um, it is noteworthy, though, that it is written by someone who has written mystery novels before and detective fiction. Our new novel is uh, Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna, fellow podcaster Sophie Hanna. Ooh. Uh, she is the host of a podcast called How to Hold a Grudge, uh, based on her book by the same name. Of course. Uh, which is actually a self-help book. Oh, Okay. About uh, the power of grudges and how they can transform your life. All right, then. From resentment to contentment. I'm super curious, and I think I should go check that out. Oh, maybe. Maybe. I admit, I had not read the little author blurb at the end of the book, so I did not know until just now that she had a podcast. So if you want and to hear... And now I kind of want to go listen to it. So now, if you want to hear the literal voice of our author, uh, you have that opportunity very easily. We live in the future now. We do. Uh, Sophie is a best-selling crime fiction writer. She is prolific. This is not her first novel. Um, in particular, she has written Poirot novels with the blessing of the estate of Agatha Christie. That makes me happy. Yeah, she's written a few. The Monogram Murders, uh, Closed Casket, The Mystery of Three Quarters, all were uh, top 10 bestsellers in the Sunday Times. Fantastic. <clears throat> I apologize if my voice is a little crackly. It wouldn't be a recording day if one of us wasn't under the weather. It's Scott's so, turn to be sick. Indeed. Um, she's published a couple short story collections and several poetry collections. 
Lovely. And uh, recently helped create a master's degree in crime and thriller writing at the University of Cambridge, where she's course director. Ooh. So yeah, if you want to learn how to write crime, you can learn from arguably one of the masters. Yes. Well, Sophie Hanna. We'll find out, because I've never read anything by her until now. And she actually... She is one of the founders of Dream Author, which is a coaching program for writers. So oh my goodness. You, you literally can learn writing from Yeah, her. no, that's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, with, with that preamble and, and having learned a little bit about our new featured author, uh, why not dive right into chapter one of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. Our story begins. We have a date. On a specific date, April 20th, 2019. So we are in the present mm-hmm. or the very near present. We are, as of our date of recording, it was almost a year ago, give or take a month. So as as close to present as something written in the past can be. Yeah. We are recording this in March of 2020. This is set in April of 2019. Yeah. And uh, we learn right off the bat that our protagonist who does not say her name in this chapter, but we do know that her name is Beth Leeson. Well, because her name is said. Yes. She doesn't tell us who she is, but we find out. Yeah, and uh, I mean, her name is also in the blurb. Well, yeah. And we learn that her last name is Leeson at one point. There's so much exposition in this chapter. It's great. Indeed. On this day, April 20th, 2019, she has gone out of her way to wind up on a place called Whittiel Lane in the village of Hemingford Abbey at a house called Newnham House. It's very English. It is very English, which should be not surprising. So terribly British. Indeed. So we quickly learn a couple facts about Beth. She's got two teenage children, Ben aged 14. Yep. Zanna, who we don't know her exact age, but the implication is that she is older than Ben. So I'm going to guess maybe 16. Oh, I got the impression she was younger than Ben. I got the impression she was older. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. One I mean, we is, don't. One of us is wrong. One of us is wrong, and the the fact is, we don't have her age no. in this chapter. We don't know, but I got the impression that she was older and more experienced in relationships because Ben is currently in his first relationship. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I know. We'll find out for sure. Yeah, Ben and Zana are both very modern teens, always in their phones, always dealing with the social medias, that kind of stuff. Oh yes. And uh, Beth doesn't quite get it, but I mean, she's she's a modern mom. She's a parent. You're only going to get it so much yeah. because, you know, that's how parents and teens work. And uh, on this day that she was off on this side quest <laughs> to uh, check out this home on Whittier Lane, she was actually en route to drop off Ben at a football game. Here in North America, we would call it soccer. Well, yes, presumably. But honestly, I... okay, forgive me a small tangent. We should call it football. Sure, why not? Because... This is what it is. Except that we have a different sport that we call football. Which should not be called football. Uh, in fact, we have a different different sport from what Americans call football, because Canadian football is different. We have our own version of this different sport that should not be called football. It, it should is, be called throwball. It is a little dis... Arguably, yeah. You do more throwing than footing. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, we <laughs> okay. call it soccer. It should be football. What we call football, I don't know what we should call, but it's not it's not okay, foot. Moving forward, we Rant over. specifically will refer to North American football as throwball <laughs> and European soccer as football, football. Uh, to avoid any confusion whatsoever. Perfect. I love it. So that, that should just make it very clear for our <laughs> listeners. Right. Throwball is football. Football is soccer. 
I love it. There you go. All right. Um, she's actually counting on Ben being uh, engrossed in his phone, too, so that she can buy herself a couple minutes to check out this house. Yeah, she knows him really well. He is. She's right. Yeah. Um, she's actually come to snoop on an old friend named Flora Braid. Mm-hmm. Her former best friend. Yeah. They. Uh, she and her husband, Louis, uh, moved into this home when she kind of describes it as when money became no object. Mm. Yes, and, when they came into some money. Um, And, I mean, we learned some of these facts out of order. It's sprinkled in through, but... Oh, um, I can't wait to talk about that. It's, it's something I loved about this chapter. Lewis inherited a small fortune from his grandfather, who apparently was a hoarder and a miser and nobody knew. And <laughs> when he died, he left Lewis maybe everything, maybe just a sizable chunk of something. It's not clear. No, but... It certainly implied everything. He was worth several million pounds, yeah, so I believe. All of a sudden, they came into money and could afford this luxurious home on this private road, which can't even be found on Google Maps. And uh, Beth wanted to come and, uh, and snoop, but didn't really have a reason to drive four hours out of her way. Two hours there, two hours back. And the football game gave her... The perfect excuse mm -hmm. to go and snoop. Well, she's going there anyway. Exactly. Why not do some snooping? Yeah. Her first impression of Newnham House is that it is ugly. <laughs> oh, we have several paragraphs of description yeah. about how much she kind of doesn't like this house. No, it's a, it's a sprawling modern mansion. It's clearly been built onto an existing house. There's kind of like a core house and then like some wings that were added in expansion. Right. So you have the core house, which is the uh, classic ye olde style with like modern expansions on the ends of it. Yeah. And, and a separate building that she presumes must be a garage. Probably. Two to yeah. three cars. It's gated off. Well, and, it is on a private road. And she feels that this isn't the kind of house that her old friend Flora would have wanted, but it's definitely the kind of house Lewis would have wanted. And thinks to herself, Lewis tends to get his way in that relationship. Mm -hmm. You get the impression Lewis definitely comes first in the relationship, literally when they're signing their Christmas cards. The The impression I got actually is that uh, money has affected him. Well, money, it's implied, has affected both of them. Yes, but, but more him than her, right? The stories about how he used to joke about when he was ridiculously wealthy, the kind of things he would do, and then he came into money and kind of sort of started doing the things that he always joked about doing? Well, maybe yes and maybe no, because he had joked about having like an army of chauffeurs and a group of chefs who would come in every day. And yeah. I don't think they're quite that rich. They're not billionaire hoarder rich. They're millionaire affluent rich. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, it's around this time that Ben actually realizes they're not at the football field. Right. They're in the wrong place. And we, we learn at this point that Beth's husband, Dominic, also learning his name in mm -hmm. this juncture, uh, was supposed to be driving this weekend, but was kind of su happily surprised when she volunteered because it meant that he didn't have to. Right. So that she could go snooping on her best friend that she hasn't seen in 12 years. Yes. Her former best friend. Well, and she doesn't tell him that, though. Yeah. And trusts that he's not going to put two and two together. Yeah. Ben, we also learn, is having some problems with his thing. Okay, relationship thing. You can't just say a problem with his thing. That <laughs> well, sounds dirty. His girlfriend, but he's Quote not, unquote girlfriend? He's not calling her a girlfriend. He says they're in a thing, and he is having a problem with that thing. Okay, so it's not quite a relationship. She's not really a girlfriend. It's a nebulous, vague thing. Oh, but Lauren is definitely paying attention to their thing. 
because she is apparently keeping a list of all of the stuff that he does wrong in their thing. Yes. This is what happens when 14-year-olds date. Yeah. Um, the emotionally immature dating other emotionally Im- insecure. Yeah. And uh, he finds it, and I would argue correctly, very weird that she's doing that. I find it very weird, but I'm also much older. Now, Xana also has a bow. Someone named Murad, which is one of the reasons why I get the impression that she is older than Ben. Because she's been in a relationship longer that's, you know, lasting. Exactly. Um, and that they have they have had experiences where there's been a fight and there's been a makeup. And so I get the impression that Xana's older than Ben because she was younger. She wouldn't be in a relationship younger than 13. No, Her parents I... probably wouldn't be okay with that. That's a fair point. And Maybe I just misread something. Somewhere. But Xana's still clearly young enough to be living at home, which is why I don't peg her as like 18 or older. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing, again, within maybe two years makes sense. So 16? Mm-hmm. Well, she does say she has teenagers. Yeah. Right? So and I'm guessing they're probably pretty close together. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but I, again, I could be wrong. Mm. She could be older. She could be a little younger. Who's to say? Beth starts up the car and finally goes and drops Ben off. He leaves his phone in the car, which is okay, I suppose, so as to not lose it while he is playing football. And that's when Xana actually calls to complain. Possibly to avoid this girlfriend this thing. and thing yeah. for a little while. Which is why Xana calls, because apparently Lauren, the thing, called and woke her up Ugh. to ask where Ben is and why he's ghosted on her uh, conversa- on her very important conversation with him Ugh. because he, he had a game to play. Xana also noted that Ben's phone was tracked to Whittier Lane. Yeah. But doesn't pry into it and Beth assumes that she never will and that Ben will never bring it up again that they were on this wrong street because they're typical teenagers and have literally no interest in anything going on outside their lives. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it comes across anyway. It seems it seems shallow but so far it seems correct. And this actually segues us into a clue. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so Beth is very cagey in this chapter. Yes. Despite the fact that she's largely running her own internal monologue, there's stuff that she's actively trying to actively trying to not think about and dwell on. Yes. And um, she remembers back when the kids were younger and nosier. Ben caught Dominic smoking again when he had said that he had quit and caught him in the lie, which was quite embarrassing. Um, and when Xana was four, she caught Beth. I'm going to call it maiming, but she doesn't actually say what it is. A photo that they had received from the Braids for their Christmas card. Yes. Which contained pictures of Louis, Flora, and their three children, Thomas, Emily, and Georgina. Yes. She doesn't say what she was doing with it. She was holding scissors at the time. Right. She was upset at the time and was trying to brush it off as not being upset. And then did that uh, immediately cheerful, hide your upset, overly cheerful thing? Yeah. And uh, so that is why I'm going to say she was maiming the photograph. At least trimming it. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at this juncture that she has dropped off Ben. And as we kind of circle back to the present from her reverie. Yeah. um, And she says that she's not going to stick around because she wants to stop at the supermarket to pick up some dinner. But this is, of course, a blatant lie. What? A bald-faced, obvious lie. She fully intends to head back to Flora's house and snoop some more. Feels like a half lie. I feel like with that lie, she does actually have to stop at a supermarket at some point to pick something up it to is, cover her tracks. It is a white lie. It is a lie of omission. <laughs> yes. So she makes this excuse about going to the supermarket to drive back to Flora's house and uh, spy on her a little. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she parks nearby and turns the car off to look less suspicious and then acts super suspicious. Yes. And she also takes the opportunity to not only take in more of their ugly house, <laughs> but to also think back to the 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Thinks back more to, to Lewis and his whole plan to get rich, which mm-hmm. worked out for him, though not in quite the way they expected. And uh, and their kids, uh, Thomas, who is five, yeah. Emily, who is three at the time, and Georgina, who would have been a baby at yes. the time. And apparently a source of shame for Beth. She doesn't elucidate on that either. Right? I have a whole list of questions by the end of this chapter. Well, we'll get to there. I know. Um, she's also nervous, though she's pa- she passes it off as hot. She tells herself, oh, it just, it's gotten hot in here. But she's actually nervous. Uh, and well, she's worried she's going to get caught. She is spying on someone she hasn't spoken to in like a decade. She's not nervous she's going to get caught. She is trying actively to get caught. That's why she went back. That's why she's sticking around. That's why she's rolled down the window. She's hoping to run into Flora. She just hasn't admitted it to herself. Okay, fair enough. Uh, She's hoping to accidentally be caught by Flora. And then, because she doesn't want to go and talk to her former best friend, she wants... She wants it to be a coincidence so that it it doesn't look like it's on purpose? Even though it is totally on purpose. Yes. So that she can, if if she decides to abort, she can just bail on the conversation. She She has an excuse and, yeah. Yeah. And this is because there was a falling out, apparently, though it is, again... It's a secret falling out. No, it's, it's a super secret falling out. It was such a super secret falling out that the husbands didn't even know what happened. Dominic doesn't know. Lewis doesn't know, though it's possible that both of them have an idea that something happened. Maybe. Apparently, the last time they saw each other, it, they left on very friendly terms. Right? But there was this unspoken, this is, we're done. That was going on. And again, well, I don't Beth know is... if it was an unspoken this is over or a one of those things you say with good intentions that just don't come to fruition. No, she strongly intimates that there was some unspoken something. See, that's not how I read it. Because she says that she and Flora both knew that was the last time they were ever going to speak. Does she say that? Yeah. Even though nobody said it, they both knew it. And the husbands didn't know it. And the kids didn't know it. But they knew it. But I do ask the question at this point, is that in Beth's mind? Because she's also uncertain if Flora took things the same way. But certainly Beth knew in that moment, we're never speaking again. We are friends off as of this moment. That's why That's why I read it differently from you. Because you read it as immediate friends off, and I read it as... Uh, we didn't know it at the time, but we would never see each other again. It's a little vague. <clears throat> a little. I, a can, little v- I can see how you read it your way, but I can also see how I read it my way. So now I don't know. There's a line about how, yes, they promised they would phone all the time and there would be this great visit, but they both knew it wasn't going to happen. Well, to me, that reads as one of those good intentions when you say, oh, we should get together and you mean it, but you don't actually make the plan and it never, ever happens. But here's the thing. Um, she then follows it up with both Dominic and Lewis didn't know that this would be the case and that later Flora might have said something to Lewis about it, which intimates to me that there was something, there was deliberate action behind it. Maybe. It wasn't just uh, one of those situations where, oh, we've lost touch with our friends who we haven't spoken to in forever. There's there's hurt feelings here. Beth destroyed a photo of them mm-hmm. some years later. Yes. She's, she's upset for some reason. There are hurt feelings, absolutely. I'm just not sure whether the hurt feelings happened before or after the braids moved away. I'm going to say it happened at that last meeting. I am unsure. 
Now, it's around this time that Beth decides she's being stupid and she should go. So, of course, the plot arrives. Of course. To prevent her from doing it. Well, otherwise the chapter would be so boring. Otherwise the story would be over. That's also true. (laughs) Yes. And Flora uh, pulls up in her Range Rover and drives into the driveway, not noticing Beth. Uh, If she did notice the car, it was just a car parked on the side of the road. Yeah, exactly. Um, Beth, of course, snoops some more because she can't not. Well, yeah. Um, And overhears Flora get out of the Range Rover on the phone with someone. And she can tell instantly, even though she hasn't seen this woman in 12 years, this is a woman who she knew intimately prior to that. And she recognizes there's concern in her voice. She Mm -hmm. is clearly upset and or distraught. She knows it is definitely her. It is definitely her voice. And there is definitely something wrong. Yeah. She is also maybe passed off to a child on the phone at one point and does that thing where you are still clearly upset, but you've changed your voice to sound not upset. Right. And Beth recognizes the floor might actually be crying, and it surprisingly affects her because she still has some empathy for this person who used to be her friend. Yeah. Yeah. Flora then finishes her conversation, her mysterious conversation that has obviously upset her and composes herself and then calls for Thomas, 17 years old, and Emily, 15 years old, based on how time works, yes, to get out of the car in a very condescending and childlike way. Right? Like treating them like they're wee little children. And then is surprised to see two wee little children get out of the car. Right? Thomas, aged five, and Emily, aged three. And Beth officially crosses through the scary door. Prepare to enter the scary door. (laughs) Absolutely. What? And of course, this is where our chapter ends, because that is how cliffhangers work. And a mystery is afoot, and that is our hook to keep reading. Though we are reading it chapter by chapter, week by week, so we have put the book down to digest (laughs) and to ruminate upon. And discuss. The mysteries and the questions. So, early speculation. I don't think that we necessarily need to open up the accusing parlor. It will will remain closed off at this time because there is no obvious crime that has taken place. No. And therefore, no one to jacuzzi. We might not accuse anybody. This might go off weirdly off the rails. We don't know. Who knows? But uh, that does not mean that we cannot engage in some early speculation. Right. So Beth seems to believe that these are the same Thomas and Emily, aged five and three, who were Thomas and Emily aged five and three 12 years ago. Yes. Which, again, is impossible. Should be, yes. But she could be misremembering what they look like. It was 12 years between the last time she saw them. And if they're dressed the same, it could give the illusion to her, half-remembered, that they're the exact same children. So I'm positing they are not the same children, that Thomas and Emily have been replaced. By two other children? By two other children. That's with little... newer, younger versions of Thomas and Emily. That's a little crazy. Maybe because the original Thomas and Emily, something happened to them, and these are replacement goldfish. Or, I don't know, because the braids only wanted little kids, so they got rid of their teenagers. I don't know. I'm not... That, that sounds a lot more sinister. That does. But at the Kinda very dark. least, at the very least, I suspect that these are not, in fact, the same Thomas and Emily. Because... We're not in a supernatural horror story, theoretically. Yet? So I would presume that you can't magically not have children age. Well, that's why I wondered if maybe we aren't in like a haunted house situation that does something to its occupants. Is Flora a witch? 
I don't know. Mm. Also, we don't know what's gone on with Georgina. Yeah. Who okay, should so... be 12 years old at this point, assuming she is not still a baby. Mm-hmm. So, and the thought of Georgina made Beth feel ashamed. Like, yeah. That is almost a direct quote. Which makes me wonder if she's the reason that they had a falling out as well. Maybe. Something over the baby. Also, there's no baby right now. Well, so, she... what's up with that? She was talking to someone on the phone who was clearly a child and calling them chimpy. That's what gave Beth the idea that she might have been talking to a child that could have been Georgina. Maybe? Except, again, Georgina should be 12. Dear God, I hope Chimpy is a nickname. Yeah. Because that, that is the name you give to a dog. So, like, a real name that you would give to a dog. It is a nickname that you would maybe give to a person. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that down, actually. It was like, is she talking to a dog? Because that is the name you give a dog. Well, and Beth seems and you don't to... talk to a dog on the phone unless you're one of those really eccentric people. Well, and we don't know what people might use as cute pet names for their kids overseas. Oh, we, that's true. We frequently refer to one or both of our children as monkey. So it's entirely possible that it's very common elsewhere to you basically do the same thing except call them chimpy. I know. Nicknames are nicknames. Yeah. You can nickname anybody anything. It's hard to say. It's exactly. We don't know. We don't know all of the Britishisms. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so here, the facts of the case are these. So we know that Flora did something to Beth. Or Beth did something to Flora. No, no. We know that Flora did something to Beth. I'm going to... Because of the comment about the picture. Okay, but does Beth perceive that Flora did something to Beth? Yes. At the very least, yes. Okay. Whether, Whether Flora perceives it or not, we don't know. Beth, from Beth's point of view, Flora did something. Flora did something. And, and Beth it... did something to a picture. Yes. Okay. In, I don't, retaliation. Here's the thing. The the maiming, as you call it, of a photograph is petty. Yes. That is a petty thing to do. So, is what Flora did also petty? Is it a petty retaliation to a, a quote-unquote petty crime? Maybe. Maybe. People often have fallings out over petty things. Or is it, I hate to take it to the level of calling it trauma, but the destruction of something that is associated with someone else is a response to trauma. Well, a falling out with your best friend is going to be traumatic. Yes, but you know what I'm saying? Like... Was it actually an abusive friendship? Well, we got, or, again, there's some clues that... Or is this all super duper petty and superficial and actually we should all just behave like adults? Probably yes, also that. But um, we're also getting the implication that maybe Lewis and Flora's relationship is not 100%. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. To say. We're, we're getting our view of their relationship so far is through the eyes of, her former best friend from 12 years ago. Yes. More than 12 years ago, actually. And here's the interesting thing. While there is clearly a mystery afoot involving the braids in their mysteriously non-aging children, the big mysteries at the moment are actually all on Beth. Oh, yeah. Because she is not being super forthcoming as a narrator. Well, not yet. She's only had one chapter to talk to us. Yes, um, but she's not being honest with herself. And the reason I say that is because she keeps aborting her train of thought. Whenever she starts to hove into territory of 
oh, I'm angry at Flora because of X, or I did this to Flora's picture because of X. She keeps cutting herself off. My emotions make me feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to go there. Exactly, because she doesn't want to go there. And for that, like I had said, she passes off being hot in her car, but she's nervous being in her car and being so close to her friend's place. And you pointed out she doesn't want to run into Flora, and I was like, no, she 100% wants to run into Flora. But she doesn't say that. She kind of explicitly is saying the opposite. But if you're reading between the lines, no, she wants to run into Flora. Oh, yeah. She's putting herself in a position to be run into by Flora. She will be disappointed if she leaves that day having not run into Flora. She won't know why, because she's not being honest with herself, but she will be. Yeah. And instead, what she gets is something really weird that is now going to bother her forever. Yes, or probably at least until the next chapter. Because again, <laughs> yes. if it if she just left and never thought about it again, the story would be over. Yeah. Book over. Thanks for coming out, everybody. <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, that's why I say she's not she's not being super reliable because she's not being honest, not just to us, but to herself. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what happens. And a, and a quick note on the style of this chapter, I I like it when exposition is cleverly worked in and not just bluntly handed out. Well, that's also a sign of a good skilled crime writer. Yes. Because you you weave the clues in in such a way that they're not all obvious. Yeah. And I just, I want to break with that and draw attention to it because I really liked how it was done. It wasn't shoved down your throat. Hey, here's what you need to know. It was cleverly laid out. It wasn't shoved down your throat. You actually had to think about it and process it to take it all in. And now I feel like we're on really good footing to dive into the rest of this book. Yeah. We know our characters. We have a little bit of character uh, work on almost all of them. And we've already had our inciting incident. Yeah. We're good to go. We are good to go. In, In what, 15 pages? Yeah. Off we go. I really liked how it was done. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I also liked that it was written very train of thoughty. Um yeah. we, we discussed this in the last book, um, in the municipalists, the first the prologue really, mm-hmm. uh, was very much like a monologue written from Thompson's point of view. And it was very it followed a very kind of train of thought. I found the chapter followed a similar sort of structure. Yeah. Like points made sense when they were brought up, even though it was a little disparate, because she would train off on some side tangent and bring herself back to mm-hmm. the, what was going on. I found it still very easy to follow, yeah. though, which yeah. is which is good. It, it felt very natural. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. we'll see more of that. As oh, I assume forward. we will. Indeed. Um, it dawns on me, uh, Perfect Little Children actually has a second title. Um, and if you are following us overseas and you are looking for the book Perfect Little Children, it might not be under that title. It was actually published in the UK under the title Haven't They Grown? So that is possibly the title you need to be looking for if you're looking for it. Uh, But if you find it online, you can probably find a U.S. version of it under Perfect Little Children and get it sent to you under that. I wonder why the U.K. version and the North American version have two different titles. Couldn't say. Maybe just... Because that's not a translation. They're both written in English. Yeah, could be... uh... Could be just a publishing house thing. Oh, maybe. Maybe two different publishers decided on two different titles. Could also be maybe there was already a book under the name Haven't They Grown in the U.S. And so they went with a different title. Okay. But we're in Canada. Yeah, but we're reading the U.S. version. Mm. Just because it's distributed in Canada doesn't mean it's not published in the U.S. No, but we're... 
I honestly We're a don't Commonwealth. Know. Why wouldn't we get the UK version? I honestly don't know. Now, clearly, Sophie Hanna is a uh, is now a listener of our podcast <laughs> because we are reading her book. So only she could tell us. So she can just get on our Twitter and let us know why the book is titled under two different names in two different jurisdictions. Who knows? Or any other publisher, if you're listening and you know why that might be the case, let us know. Hit us up. Tell us. Yeah, I'm curious. We'll, we'll pass it along to our readers. Absolutely. So that they are informed. So as we uh, as we wrap up this chapter, you'll want to read up on chapter two in time for next week. Yes. And as we delve further into the mystery. Yes. Now, one of the things that we learn in this chapter about Lewis is that he was he was looking to make it rich with this company that he had started. And clearly that's the kind of thing that requires uh, some training, uh, especially if you're you're looking to maybe finally take that leap into that new business idea that you've always had. And uh, if you are looking to maybe branch out and try something new in your life, Norquest College happens to have the program for you. Your next career move is right around the corner, and Norquest College is here to help. Our new Career Moves Professional Development Program will help you transition to new job opportunities. Funded by the Future Skills Center, we will provide one-on-one -on -one coaching, self-assessments, skill development and training, and up to $2,000 in available tuition credit. Our focus is your success. Make your next move. Apply today at norquest.ca slash career moves. That was a smooth segue, honey. Yeah, one, one of my excellent segues from book. <laughs> well done. So yeah, you can check out Norquest College and their career moves program uh, right now. Uh, that can be checked out on their website, norquest.ca slash career moves. Uh, and it might just be what you're looking for in your yeah, life. Maybe. maybe maybe career move into being an author. You can get in touch with Sophie Hanna and she'll help you out. <laughs> Could work out. You never know. Could just be the thing you're looking for. Podcasting and changing lives. That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, you can check out our podcast, of course, uh, not just wherever you've downloaded it from, but also on the CKUA app where it is generously hosted with all of the other Alberta Podcast Network podcasts. Yes. So if you're looking for something new, you can check that out. Get a little sampling of some of the great award-winning podcasts yes. on the Alberta Podcast there Network. There were awards. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, you can also check us out elsewhere online. Uh, yes. Uh, we have your standard social media, uh, Pick Your Poison, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Goodreads is yeah. where we hang out. We are at The Read Along on almost all of those. Uh, if you want to send us a lengthier missive, you can do so via email. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. It's a haunted house. I think it's a house. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on goodreads.com.